Welcome to Bioethics On Air, a program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. In today's podcast, we focus on the ethics of vaccine development in light of COVID-19. Our guest is Dr. John DiCamillo, a staff ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Dr. DiCamillo and I will discuss ethical challenges concerning vaccines in general, the Catholic Church's response to these challenges, and then focus specifically on issues related to the development of a COVID-19 vaccine. John, welcome to our podcast today. Great to be here, Joe. Thanks. Usually we begin our interviews, I, I ask our interviewee to give a little biographical information about him or herself, but seeing as you are one of our one of the NCBC ethicists and you've been on the podcast before and your bio is available on our website for anybody who wants to see it, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how uh, the last six, seven, eight weeks of working at home has been for you. Well, it's been quite an adventure, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely... It's wonderful to be home and uh, with family and all those great things, but with uh, five kids ages eight and under running around in the house, it uh, certainly is a, a different kind of challenge. Absolutely. I've, I've been to the DiCamillo household a couple times, and it is, um, I would describe it as very lively. But it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Great. Awesome. All right. So let's get into our, our topic today. And, and we'll start with the, with the general and move down into the more specific. So in general, John, what are the ethical concerns with the development and manufacture of certain vaccines today? Sure. Yeah. So the, the concern really is with regard to the use of cell lines that were developed through um, abortions that occurred in the past. In other words, abortion um, was committed and that was the source for certain uh, fetal cells, which were then uh, cultured into the cell lines that we have today. So when uh, scientists are, or researchers are using uh, these particular cell lines that were derived from abortions, um, that presents a major issue of conscience for anyone who understands and appreciates the dignity and the value of human life. So, so just to clarify, it's not vaccines themselves that are bad, but sometimes the, uh, or certain ways that they are developed or manufactured raise ethical challenges. Absolutely, yes. Vaccines are considered to be a good. Certainly, the Catholic Church acknowledges the importance of uh, health and of promoting health uh, and preserving health, uh, both on the individual level as well as for the community. Uh, and so vaccination in itself is a good thing, is certainly to be promoted, but unfortunately, uh, the particular um, materials that are being used, the biological materials used in the production of certain vaccines, not all vaccines, just certain vaccines, um, is the moral problem. This next question comes about because I, I had a conversation, well, a couple of conversations actually, just very recently, and, and I think there's some confusion here. Can you distinguish for us um, between cell lines derived from children who were aborted versus embryonic stem cell lines? There's a sense in which morally they're synonymous, um, mm -hmm. but the, the difference in terms of the technicalities here is that something the, the cells which are derived from an abortion, we're usually referring to a fetal cell line. So the, 
there was an actual, there was a pregnancy and the pregnancy was terminated and the fetus was then removed and taken as the source of the cells. Um, mm -hmm. So that is the killing of a child in ethical terms. Uh, similarly, embryonic stem cells um, are also derived through the killing of a child. But the difference is that usually um, here we're talking about in vitro fertilization to create a human zygote, then embryo developed to embryonic stage and then pulled apart um, at a very, very early um, point when it is uh, still not even yet considered a fetus. Um, it's a tiny cell stage. So you're pulling some of those cells apart. In either case, you're talking about the killing of a child. Um, but in one case, you're talking about a termination of a pregnancy and removal of cells from the fetus. In the other case, you're talking about um, the conception of a child in vitro and then the pulling apart of those dividing cells prior to a fetal stage where no pregnancy is involved. And that's a really important distinction that, that we need to keep in mind when we're talking about this. Um, what specific vaccines that we use today were developed from and are manufactured using uh, these cell lines derived from aborted children? There are several. Um, I mean, the most commonly cited one is the uh, MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, and rubella, uh, the chicken pox as well. Uh, there's the uh, hepatitis A and um, there are also some other vaccinations for, for other conditions. Um, and I believe one of them is um, there's a vaccine for an anemia, for acute respiratory uh, condition. And uh, these are all examples. And then there's the distinction also between some of the other combinations. So you have uh, the MMR combined with chickenpox, which is, a, which is also similarly derived <clears throat> from aborted um, fetal cells. Do you think most people, and I, I think of myself when, when our daughter was vaccinated back geez, 20 years ago now, we had no clue. I mean, I had no idea that the vaccines, you know, the MMR and the chicken pox and things that she received were derived from these cell lines from, from abortions. Do you think most people are aware of this? I don't. Yeah. My, my experience has been similar as, uh, most people are not aware of this. Certainly, although I think many more people are aware today than they would have been five, ten years ago, even. Um, but it's certainly something that uh, even if somebody's heard of it, that there might be an issue. Then to go from there to understanding well which specific vaccines and for which conditions, because that's the other thing. I mean, I mentioned a few conditions here, um, like measles, mumps, rubella, and so forth. Um, but we have to be careful about also pointing out that not every vaccine for that condition is necessarily derived from aborted fetal cell lines. So for example, measles, mumps, rubella, that combined vaccine is uh, from the uh, abortion-derived cell lines. Uh, but if you look at the um, measles, rubella without the mumps, um, that does have some legitimate uh, alternative vaccines available, um, whereas uh, you know not all of them um, not all of them have that situation. So we, we have to be careful. And, and again, even here, you, you have a difference of, there may be several vaccines that are produced immorally for one of the diseases and several others that are produced in a legitimate way for the same condition. Um, so it's, I actually, I typically recommend to people because I myself don't even have all these straight all the time. Uh, when people call us at the NCBC and ask us, you know, can you tell me which ones are a problem? I actually go to a resource 
um, online, the Children of God for Life website, and they have a vaccine chart there, which is very well researched and kept up to date. And that, as far as that specific resource is concerned, I find to be very helpful, uh, frequently updated, and, uh, and it's a place I would recommend people go if they're looking for the level of detail about which specific vaccinations for which specific conditions are or are not derived from the um, aborted fetal cell lines. I use the exact same one, and we get that call uh, fairly often. Actually, you know, people will say, is this, you know, such and such a vaccine? Is this, you know, can I use it? Can I not use it? And, and I'll refer people to this chart as well. And, and for people who are listening, um, feel free to contact us and, and we can, you know, we can send that to you or, or give you this information um, through one of our, through a consult. So, John, what did this document say about Catholics and others using vaccines developed from these morally problematic cell lines? Well, basically, it said that there is clearly a moral problem here. Um, they use the terms that we, the principles that we often refer to in terms of um, Catholic moral theology and bioethics of cooperation with evil and scandal. It spoke in those terms, basically saying, hey, there's a connection here between these uh, vaccines, some of these vaccines and the abortions that have occurred. Um, it said, essentially, it's wrong to use these cell lines in development. So the people who are developing these vaccines using the cell lines should not be doing that. And then it said, but the end user, basically the family or the individual, the parent who has to choose what to do for their child, they're being asked uh, to vaccinate for public health reasons and for the health of the child. There are a number of good reasons, obviously, we want to vaccinate. So the question is, mm -hmm. hey, can they use it? And the answer is, at the end of the day, uh, yes, if they have a sufficiently serious reason uh, for using the vaccine and there is no better reasonable alternative available. And right, if, key. yes, and if they are um, engaged in appropriate efforts to object to uh, the fact that this vaccine has, has come from this source and to encourage alternatives. So we're essentially, it's basically saying we need to encourage alternative sources for vaccines and proper production. Um, we need to see if there are any reasonable alternatives available um, for the particular vaccine that we're looking to get. And if there aren't any reasonably available alternatives in our particular circumstances, we may use with sufficiently serious reason uh, a vaccine, even if it came from or was developed through the use of one of these abortion-derived cell lines. Now, you started to answer this question, uh, my next question already, but so say I'm a parent and I do make the decision to vaccinate my child using these vaccines. What moral responsibility do I have following that? Following it? I mean, I would say that the document is clearly suggesting the, the importance of um, opposing the problematic development of vaccines and of registering one's uh, objection to that in some way. Now, I think there is a, a question about exactly how that needs to be done in every particular circumstance. And there's a variety of ways um, from, from the standpoint of prudence that a particular family, particular parents in question, or, or even just adults who are getting the vaccinations, as the case may be, um, the particular way in which some effort is made to oppose and to register objection to this um, may vary. 
but in principle, that's the obligation that exists. We shouldn't just basically be saying, oh, it's all, it's all just fine. End of story. There needs to be some kind of um, effort, some effort of witnessing and to the value of life and recognition of the fact that there's an injustice here, um, while all of the particulars of how that needs to happen are not fully defined. And there are a number of, of organizations. I'm thinking of the Catholic Medical Association um, that has, um, has has raised these questions, and and you know maybe there's some opportunity for people to to partner with organizations like that um, to raise these concerns. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. So based on everything we've spoken about so far, and due to the various ethical issues involved, is it permissible for people to refuse to vaccinate either themselves or their children? Well, the simple answer is yes, depending on how it's phrased, because sometimes people phrase it you know, as, as the reverse. What, what it's getting at is sometimes there's this sense, it seems to me, that, um, you know, we, because the church hasn't prohibited, uh, because the church says it's okay to use the vaccines, um, sometimes there's a sense people have or a message that's communicated, which is, hey, since the church says it can be okay, therefore it's obligatory and everybody has to do it. And that's not true. That's actually not the, what the church is teaching is. Um, there, what it, there is a realm that's left to prudence, to prudential judgments of the individuals. What the church's teaching is saying is that, hey, um, if push comes to shove and you've got a serious reason, you may use these vaccines, even though they are of illicit origin. Um, and so you just need to have that sufficient reason, as we talked about before, and so forth. So it's sort of posing it in, um, in the situation of really you shouldn't do it unless there's a grave reason. Now, in fact, there may often be that grave reason for many families and, you know, raising kids, sending them to school, you know, the, the risks of actual contagion of these diseases, the seriousness of them, transmission to others, you know. So in many cases, it may well be that a particular um, family is going to say, hey, yeah, we've got a grave reason. We're going to do this and vaccinate the child, even though there's not a better alternative to this. Or myself, you know, again, as an adult, could be somebody who's immunocompromised and getting their, uh, their new series of vaccinations after having gone through um, a chemotherapy or whatever the case may be to rebuild up their immune system. So, um, so that's, there's certainly going to be many cases where it's fine. But the point is, there's no church teaching that says you must receive the vaccination. Um, there enters in a question of what is a serious health risk, what is the, the grave reason that would warrant the use of the vaccine of illicit origin. Um, and, and there, again, we're left with questions of fact and questions of prudence, which may lead to different judgments in different places and in different families uh, as to whether they, uh, they will or will not uh, vaccinate. So so that's the really long answer to, is it permissible? Yes, <laughs> in some cases, <laughs> uh, it certainly is permissible to not vaccinate. And in fact, um, maybe um, a, 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 an opportunity for a strong pro-life witness, uh, depending on one's circumstances. It could also be um, the converse, though. One could give strong witness um, by vaccinating. Uh, it depends also partly on the messaging and the communicating how do you speak to others about your choice uh, to vaccinate or not vaccinate and so on and so forth. So there are a lot of variables 
um, prudentially there. Um, the point is we want to be giving a clear and strong witness about the dignity of human life. And uh, we want to be, again, encouraging, even if we do go ahead and vaccinate, vaccinate we want to encourage and promote alternatives um, that will be morally sound and will not involve this unjust alternative situation where we're forced to choose. That, that Pontifical Academy for Life document from 2005 talks about this as a moral coercion of the conscience, um, which must be eliminated as soon as possible, to quote some of the language. Hmm. All right. So a lot of the, the discussion about vaccines um, revolves around this 2005 Pontifical Academy for Life document. But in 2008, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a document titled Dignitas Personae. What did uh, Dignitas Personae contribute to the question of vaccines? So Dignitas Personae, um, in two particular um, sections, in number 34 and 35, addresses this question of the use of human biological material of illicit origin. Uh, and so, I mean, this is a tiny portion of the whole document itself, but it does speak explicitly to this question. And what it adds or contributes, I would say, is first of all, given that it's really only doing it in just a few paragraphs, it's a much, much more concise uh, treatment, much less wordy. It doesn't go into all the categories of cooperation, which the, the 2005 Pontifical Academy for Life document got very detailed about, you know, remote material, you know, proximate, remote, immediate, all of these categories that are, that are often discussed in technical, theolo theological, and ethical um, conversations. But it just basically said, hey, there are some issues of cooperation with evil and scandal. Um, what, what it said is that it's not sufficient to say, well, because we didn't create the cell line, it's okay for us to use it. That's point number one. Just made very clear. You know, you can't, this is the criterion of independence, as it was called. It's not adequate. Um, the fact that you didn't create it doesn't mean that you get to use it um, and, and so forth. And there's a lot, just to, there's a lot, and there's people who use that argument. Yes, there still are many who would use that argument. Right. Agreed. Um, though it was trying, obviously, this was respond specifically to those who were using it already at that time. This is 2008, Dignitas Persona came out. Um, so that's not sufficient. Um, and then it goes on to say that, you know, there is a duty for researchers in particular, the ones doing the development of, let's say, a vaccine or, or another a pharmaceutical product. Uh, they have this duty uh, to not use that. They're the ones who are in the, 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 have the authority, have the power, have the control to decide which material they're going to use. And so they have a duty to not use this material of illicit origin. <clears throat> um, the, then it goes on to reaffirm, however, the, the very clear principle that the Pontifical Academy for Life talked about, that in the end, there may be grave reasons that are morally proportionate to justify using um, the, the biological material. For example, it gives the danger of health to children. So the end user of the vaccine, as we just said, as the PAB said, may use that vaccine, even though it was developed using that biological material, reaffirms that. And then finally, um, I would say uh, it's, it concludes its discussion in those two sections um, by saying we need to mobilize consciences in favor of life. And here it's getting out of the technicalities of moral discourse and into the question of witness and scandal. You know, like this is not just about 
Um, you know, are we technically okay because the categories of cooperation are such that we're sufficiently removed and we have a morally proportionate reason? Now it's a, a little step further and just reminding us, hey, you know, we should be doing everything that we can do to give strong witness to the dignity and the value of human life. Um, and particularly today, because the, those who are in the field of healthcare in particular have an increased responsibility to do that. Um, so I think that's a, a sort of a call both to uh, doctors and nurses, but in particular also to Catholic healthcare organizations, um, that there is this responsibility um, on these issues of biological material illicit origin to promote, to mobilize consciences in favor of, uh, of life. In other words, you know, we should really be promoting materials that are out there of sound origin and not simply, you know, doing what the whole rest of the secular world does and whatever's the, the cheapest uh, thing out there. <laughs> One last historical document, so to speak, and then we'll get into to vaccines for, for COVID-19. So in 2017, the Pontifical Academy of Life issued an updated short statement on vaccines. First of all, what, if anything, did this 2017 statement add to the question of vaccines? So this is an interesting interesting document uh, because it's coming from the <laughs> Pontifical Academy for Life again. Um, but it is coming out in the context of a particular situation in Italy. And in fact, the title of the document is called A Note on the Italian Vaccine Issue. Um, so it's adding something certainly to the discussion, um, but it's also, this is another unique point about it, it's not exclusively authored by the Pontifical Academy for Life. Um, it's also you know, a, a joint statement um, that includes the um, Catholic, um, the Association of uh, Catholic Physicians in Italy, um, as well as the uh, Office for the Pastoral Care of Healthcare Workers of the Italian Bishops Conference. So it's a joint joint statement of three organizations, um, and it is responding to a specific situation that happened, which was that Italy was facing a significant decline in the levels of population vaccination. There were lots of people who were not getting vaccinated. Um, they were ha starting to have outbreaks uh, of some of the conditions for which the vaccines existed, but which were not being used. Um, and levels were dropping, you know, well below the 95% recommended. They were down at, you know, 85 on average and maybe 75% or lower uh, in some areas of the country. So, um, so there was this sort of concern that maybe part of the issue, it seems, was, you know, are people being overly scrupulous uh, about the vaccines and avoiding them because maybe they think that the church has prohibited it, um, that they, you know, for, for something along these lines. So I think that that context, the historical context is important uh, because the message that it's basically sending uh, is that, you know, they're reiterating the 2005 uh, statement of the same Pontifical Academy for Life and saying it's okay. You know, they're sort of re-emphasizing it's okay for people to use the vaccines even if they come from an aborted fetal cell line. Um, and you know, the 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 cooperation with evil that that is discussed is not significant enough to make it immoral across the board. So people really can um, can vaccinate. So that, that's the message it's sending. It's essentially, you know, we want to be very clear that there's a strong public health reason in favor of vaccinating, and there's not a church prohibition 
against this. Um, so it's essentially encouraging people to vaccinate. Um, now, that said, it also does reaffirm, and in the last sentence, um, the importance of um, ensuring that the development of vaccines um, does not involve the cell line. So development of new vaccines should not involve a biological material of illicit origin. Um, so I guess, yeah, I think what we can say then is it, its contribution is to strengthen the general argument um, that there are strong public health reasons in favor of this, in particular in the Italian situation, um, in light of the, the very low levels of vaccination and declining levels, because they were seeing a trend of dropping off levels, um, so that they were reemphasizing the, um, the strong moral uh, case in favor of uh, being vaccinated despite the immoral origins. I want to pick up on on one. You, you mentioned one thing about the last sentence of this document, and there are those, and you've you've heard them, and I have heard them as well too. There are some people who will argue that this 2017 statement negates the moral duty to advocate for ethically, or to advocate, I should say, for ethically sourced vaccines. Does this statement do that? No. No, it doesn't. Now, unfortunately, the, the English version on the website is not particularly well uh, translated, in my opinion. But it's actually really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be charitable. <laughs> um, the, but but the, what it's saying when you go back to the original Italian um, is, is reaffirming clearly that the duty um, to avoid the use of these problematic cell lines in development is reaffirmed. That's what it's actually saying. So in other words, it's saying, it's not saying, hey, you know, there really is a strong case to use these vaccines, so everything's okay. You know, they really need, they can they can be used with no problem, and we can go ahead and develop new vaccines using the MRO cell lines because there's really no cooperation with evil problem here. That, that's not what it's saying. And actually, uh, I would add on that. Um, just as another point in terms of what it adds, we need to be clear with all three of these documents you mentioned, the uh, 2005 Academy for Life, the 2017 Academy for Life that we just talked about on the Italian issue, and the 2008 Dignitas Personae, there are different levels of authoritativeness, obviously, and in the sense that the Pontifical Academy for Life is really an advisory body, um, and it's not uh, an authoritative body. Uh, whereas the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which put out Dignitas Personae in 2008, really is the highest level of doctrinal authority. So that is the, I would say, the um, the canon, the reference point of greatest authority on the issue. And that document, of course, cannot be overridden by something that might come out in a later statement from the Pontifical Academy for Life. Um, so in and in that 2008 Dignitas Personae, uh, it does explicitly remind everyone, um, and I'm going to cite from it just a second here. It says that keeping in mind that everyone has the duty to make known their disagreement and to ask that their healthcare system make other types of vaccines available. Moreover, in organizations where cell lines of illicit origin are being utilized, the responsibility of those who make the decision to use them is not the same as that of those who have no voice in such a decision. Um, so this is you know, it's that reminder 
that we do have to object and healthcare systems in particular are mentioned here in Dignitas Personae um, as, uh, as being, we should be asking them to make other alternatives available. So uh, all the more reason if you're a Catholic health organization, you should be offering those alternatives um, at your Catholic healthcare system. So just to clarify for our listeners, so um, Dignitas Personae makes very clear that we have an obligation to speak out, object to the, to the development use of these vaccines that were um, manufactured, developed and manufactured using these uh, cell lines from aborted children. And the 2017 Pontifical Academy for Life Statement does not change that. Right. Let's move ahead to our discussion of today. So we're, we are recording this interview the first week of May of 2020. And as we record this podcast, there's all sorts of uh, trials going on and, and research going on to try to develop a vaccine for COVID-19. So I was wondering, John, can you tell us where are we with the development of a vaccine for COVID-19? And are the trials underway using cell lines from aborted children or not? Well, I got to tell you, uh, I can't really keep on, on top of all of it myself. <laughs> this is also changes rapidly developing, so I, I may not have the latest here, but certainly, um, you know, I can say there's a lot going on. There's a lot of vaccine development. Uh, there's a lot of um, disease treatment development going on. Um, there are, um, you know, maybe already even, well, at least 40 or more vaccines in development, and probably many we're not even aware of that haven't been listed in, or mentioned in a lot of the media. Um, but So there's a lot going on. There certainly are vaccines that are being produced that, are of, that involve the use of biological material of illicit origin, of these cell lines derived from abortions. Um, and again, I would uh, reference the, the resource of the Children of God for Life uh, website from their vaccine chart. They have a link specifically to the vaccines that are being developed for COVID-19 because there's so many right now. <laughs> um, and, and on there, you know, I just looked it up right now and they updated it as of uh, yesterday, it looks like, May 5th. Uh, and on the list of, there's, I'd say, looks like five vaccines in development that uh, involve the problematic cells, and there's a list of 14 that seem to that don't involve the problematic cells, the cell lines. Um, and of course, that's not a comprehensive list of every vaccine being produced out there, but the ones that they've been able to do the research on. So we've got certainly some in production um, of Ill illicit origin. Um, thankfully, probably more that are not of illicit origin, because really those cell lines are not necessary for vaccine development. Um, and it's, you know, it's the choices of the companies that are working on them to make use of those particular cell lines. Um, so now as far as clinical trials go, again, that's another <laughs> level of distinction. I don't right. know how many of those in development are under human trials at this stage. I did read that one of them, I think Moderna, uh, which involves the, the, uh, HEK 293, um, cell line, which is one of the aborted fetal cell lines, that one I do believe is in human trials right now. And there may be others. So what does the NCBC said about the development of a COVID-19 vaccine? 
Well, NCBC has has reaffirmed the church's teaching uh, clearly and applying it to this COVID-19 situation. We've we've said uh, we want a vaccine. Let's let's promote it. Let's encourage it. Vaccines are a good thing. We need a COVID-19 vaccine development is is something we want to promote, um, but we want to do it the right way. You know, ethics don't take a back seat in a time of crisis. So the NCBC has said, you know, let's encourage all those who are doing it the right way. Um, give them the kudos they deserve, the encouragement, the support they deserve, um, and and let us very clearly uh, speak out against the companies that are developing uh, vaccines using the aborted fetal cell lines. Uh, and you know, there's no need to do that. And um, and this is the time to make those objections clear because, as we saw. From the 2005 Pontifical Academy for Life document to 2008 Dignitas Personae, um, and even the 2017 Pontifical Academy for Life, you know, none of it's it's clear. We must oppose the development of vaccines using these lines. It's not legitimate to use the cell lines in development. The question of whether an end user might make use of it once it comes to once it's completed is a separate question. But while we're at this development stage, we should all be pushing full force to uh, oppose um, the use of these problematic cell lines. Yeah, for those who are listening, I would um, the the document that uh, John is referring to is titled "COVID nineteen vaccines promote life and health without undermining human dignity," and that was a statement that actually, John, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you the credit for you you drafted that statement. It's a, it's an NCBC statement, but it's on our website. And it's dated April 8th of 2020. So that resource is available, again, on our website at ncbcenter.org. Uh, I'd also like to, John, if, if, if I could, is take a second, because um, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has also sent a letter uh, to the Food and Drug Administration dated April 17th of 2020, and the, and the NCBC signed on uh, as a co-signatory. And I'd just like to read one or three sections, or three sentences, I should say, from the letter, because I think the bishops really kind of nail the, um, you know, hit the nail on the head with it. And they say this, quote, to be clear, we strongly support efforts to develop an effective, safe, and widely available vaccine as quickly as possible. However, we also strongly urge our federal government to government to assure that fundamental moral principles are followed in the development of such vaccines. Most importantly, the principle that human life is sacred and should never be exploited. It is critically important that Americans have access to a vaccine that is produced ethically. No American should be forced to choose between being vaccinated against this potentially deadly virus and violating his or her conscience, unquote. I think that's a great, great summary and just a very clear statement of where the church is on this issue. All right. Put you back on the spot one more time. So let's say if a vaccine for COVID-19 is developed and manufactured using cell lines derived from aborted children, can Catholics and others refuse it as a matter of conscience? Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yes. So uh, again, the simple answer is yes, based on what we know. Uh, of course, there are many factors we don't know right now about when, if that vaccine will be developed, which one it will be, 
what kind of conditions might go with it from a government standpoint. Would it be a mandatory vaccine or not? But certainly, I mean, at the level of, of principle of the thing, uh, the, the very same uh, answer that we gave before would apply. In other words, uh, if a person in their particular circumstance, um, knowing that it's derived from the, this, the use of this fetal cell line in the production of the vaccine, they could, for reasons of conscience, um, refuse to get the vaccine. Um, but they would, this presumes a properly formed conscience. Um, and that is taking into account appropriately all of the risks, both to themselves, to their family, uh, children, um, community, vulnerable individuals, elderly, etc. What kind of work are they doing? You know, what, what kind of context are they engaged in? Are they a healthcare worker where there's already perhaps a mandatory requirement for it? All of these kinds of uh, considerations and you know may come into a question of <clears throat> would it be uh, the appropriate, prudent, and morally proper thing to do to to refuse the vaccine? And actually, uh, another very simple point: effectiveness. I mean, is it even an effective vaccine? You know, the first one out the door may be approved and may work, but how effective is it going to be or, or, or expected to be based on the trials and the speed with which it's put out? Um, and so there, there will be questions about, you know, if even now we look at the regular flu and you see that the effectiveness rates of the flu vaccines can vary significantly from um, you know, even as low as 20% up to 60, 70% effectiveness and anywhere in between, depending on the particular strain of the flu and so forth. You know, there, there may be reasons to say, well, is it really worth doing that, going ahead with the vaccine when the likelihood of the benefit may be minimal? Um, and maybe my particular circumstances are such that I'm not at high risk and I'm not in contact with others at high risk. So there, there are these kinds of considerations. We don't want to, the concern is, you know, while we do want to prioritize, um, when we're dealing with a pandemic, of course, we're going to prioritize questions of, um, the common good, but that should never undermine or eliminate the dignity of the individual and those assessments of benefit and burden that are proper to the individual. So we want to take into account, you know, what the what the real facts on the ground will be at the time. Um, and hopefully, first and foremost, it, it, the, the first vaccine out the door will not be one of the ones derived from <laughs> the abortion-derived cells, developed using the abortion-derived cells. But, um, you know, and, and there's another factor, too. You know, what are the treatments that will be available in between now and the availability of the first vaccine? Will they, in the meantime, find many um, uh, other ways of treating the condition um, that are not available right now, which may make it much more manageable? Um, and, you know, ultimately, do we want a vaccine? Yes, we want a vaccine. But if there are lots of other sound treatments that are developed in the meantime that are affordable, doable, and, and not too burdensome, um, and can easily be spread, well, then, again, that may weigh, in a sense, um, in favor of somebody who's thinking about foregoing the vaccine and say, well, you know, there's plenty of treatments available, if that's the case, uh, versus, you know what, actually, there are none, <laughs> uh, at which point, you know, maybe the vaccine is the only uh, chance right. that we have of, of dealing with it. So, uh, so all those particulars will need to be seen in their proper context when the time arises.
In other words, it's a very cut and dry answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great answer. John, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? I, I guess I would say, particularly in light of the, the conclusion with COVID here, I, I think it's a fascinating time that we're in precisely with regard to these considerations about public health and what are the lines between the proper role of public health, um, the, the science of the vaccines and, and other public health approaches, um, and maintaining the uh, dignity and respect for the individual human person. So, I mean, I think we will have some very thorny ethical questions if we start moving further into, um, you know, government mandated um, responses tied to this COVID situations. I mean, I think it really will be a sort of uh, could be a significant disaster to have a government mandate <clears throat> for a vaccine that has been developed using abortipedal cell lines when there were potentially many other <laughs> vaccines that could have been developed that are in development that don't use it. Um, and, and if we, you know, missed those opportunities. So I, I think it's, uh, it's important for us to, to reflect on the fact that we shouldn't blindly trust anything that, um, that is coming from the uh, medical field or from public health officials. We do want to trust um, the, what, we, what are reliable sources. And this actually brings to mind uh, an article that I read last year on the vaccine issue, apart from any question of COVID, <clears throat> there was a great article about the whole question of trust and vaccines. And it was just, it was in the Canadian um, Medical Association Journal. And the, the point was, so many of the problems that were, we were already having with vaccination rates and people, you know, um, declining vaccinations and maybe not being at the rates of levels of vaccination we wanted, so much of it is tied not so much to the fact that people don't understand the data or that they don't respect science, but the fact that they don't have the level of trust because the communication at the human level, the organizations, the public health organizations, the, the medical societies and associations that are speaking have in many ways lost the trust of the general public, um, either because of ties with pharmaceutical industry or because of the way that information is communicated to make people feel like they're stupid. You know, it, it was actually it was actually noting that most of the problems with vaccination occur among uh, university educated and higher, um, you know, the people who decline vaccination, usually university educated or higher. Um, so the point was, it's not that people don't understand or can't think critically and can't grasp the science. So if you just keep hitting them on the head with it, you know, it's not like they're gonna <laughs> change their minds, but are you taking the time to actually um, listen to, to speak with the patients, the parents, you know, who are having questions about vaccines for any number of reasons, not just because of the aborted fetal cell lines. Um, and I think we have to, you know, this is a, an important time to keep that in mind, this point about trust and what are public health authorities doing? What are um, doctors, uh, healthcare systems, healthcare organizations, what are they doing to instill and promote trust at the level of human relationships with patients and the public. Because if they don't do that, um, you know, I, I think that we really have an even bigger uh, problem uh, because you're not going to get people to, to buy in when they're suspicious uh, about your honesty and transparency um, on these important uh, public health questions that 
that someone can rightly say, you know, well, I don't have confidence that you're even giving me the proper information. You're the expert, but I don't trust you. You know, what, what do I have? Give me something to make me trust you and don't just hit me with data. So John DiCamillo, thank you for your time today. And thank you for a very, very informative interview. My pleasure, Joe. Take care. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. For archived editions of Bioethics on Air, please go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, click on the Resources button, and then NCBC Podcasts. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at J-Z-A-L-O-T at ncbcenter.org. Thank you for joining us today, and may the Lord's peace be with you.